0: Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. Thank you for once again stopping into Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. You may have noticed on the drive in that you passed a street maybe off to the left, a street called Fear Street, and that is the subject of today's episode. As we pull out the mutoscope, we're going to talk about the new Trilogy of Fear, Fear Street, 1994, 1978, and 1666. Of course, Netflix released the trilogy of horror back at the end of June, and uh, of course, I am now just getting to finish up the uh, trilogy known as Fear Street. Of course, Fear Street, uh, based off the R.L. Stein books. Of course, uh, R.L. Stein was the uh, kind of the introduction of horror to a lot of of young people. He wrote a lot of young uh, horror. I think the Fear Street uh, book series was kind of aimed more towards the tweens and the teens but, uh, you know, I being uh, uh, born in the 70s and grew up in the 80s, by the time uh, R.L. Stein and the, uh, you know, the Goosebumps TV series came out, uh, I was a little old for that, but I do remember my brother was of that age, born, he was born in the early 80s and watched a lot of Goosebumps, so I would sit there and watch that with him because, you know, he was growing up and I was starting to try to get him into Stephen King and scary films and TV shows and, and things of that nature. So, rl stein a little out of my wheelhouse uh although i can't appreciate you know what he did for introducing uh a young generation to the horror genre but uh but this series based on his fear street series and uh, i i can't speak to the source material like i said i was a little little young for me uh to be uh actually i was a little old to be uh, reading rl stein at the time but uh, but So I'm just taking this purely on a horror, uh, level, not talking about, uh, you know, if the source material was paid homage to or adhered to strictly, that is not my concern. What my concern is, is a good horror film or three in this case. And, uh, we're going we're gonna to find out. Let's dive into it. Of course, it all starts out with the film number one, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. And they could have called this uh, Beat Street or Needle Drop Street because it seemed this first one, it was like all they did was see what uh, 90s song we can plug in. And uh, just to show everybody, this is 1994. Uh, lots of Nine Inch Nails. Lots of white zombie stuff like that. Uh, To me, it was a little light on like horror, at least horror that I like. It was very. It leaned a lot on like the scream style horror, which I am not a. I'm not a huge fan of the scream movies. I'm. I'm just going to throw that out there uh, right now. Scream kind of took the slasher film and just kind of made it. I I don't know. You know. You know the scary movie. film franchise and they got that goofy guy dressed up like the scream guy just flopping and flipping and, and bouncing around that's what i see every time i watch scream uh the the i can't remember what they call him the uh not ghost face killer that's a rapper <laughs> but uh, but the the guy with the ghost mask and all that he's uh, just to me it's not scary it's not like the classic slasher movie you know villains uh, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. There was just no, I don't know, no personality to it. I didn't care for it. and uh, But anyway, they, they really leaned <clears throat> a lot on that style in this first one. And uh, and, and it really made a, a lot of the the characters, uh, a lot of the villains that uh, we'll find a little more about these villains uh, later on in the series. But it just made them not... Not scary to me. There was no, uh, you know, that's the thing with with classic slashers. Uh, like I said, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. Uh, they they moved with a, a deliberation that suggested that they're always one step ahead of you, and not just chasing you willy nilly uh, like a teenager in a in a bad Halloween costume. And that lends itself to uh, a sense of the supernatural, uh, where, like I said, in Scream and and in this movie, the slasher type villains uh, all kind of feel like a teenager in a costume, and uh, to to me, that's not terribly scary. But I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk a little bit about what this movie is about. Of course, we. Uh, we open with a scene that uh, I actually, I actually kind of I, I disliked and I liked the opening scene uh, because it like it, it played off the scream, uh, you know, style of horror and but it did have Maya Hawke. And I I really like her, of course, uh, from Stranger Things uh, in in the last season. She kind of made her entrance and I think is going to be a part of the the new season coming up. And I really liked her in that role. And I really liked her in this. Uh, She's a good actress and uh, something that this first film in the series kind of uh, lacked. Uh, But like I said, it it still kind of leaned on the the horror tropes of, of movies like Scream. And of course, they kind of go into the the main body of the story is that there's this girl, Dina, played by uh, Kiana Madeira, and uh, she's got you think it's a, a it's an ex lover of some sort. You're thinking boyfriend. Turns out it's a girlfriend. Whatever. I mean, that's <laughs> the, it. It's almost as like it's it was made a big deal of throughout the whole movie. And I'm like, that's you know, that's that's everyday you know thing that we see all the time. It's not so shocking that, you know, they're a lesbian couple that to me didn't seem that to me, that was a non-factor and they really played it up. Uh, I suppose trying to, to make a, some sort of social point. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that as well a little bit later, but, uh, but anyway, it's just a lot of, uh, teens running around and this, uh, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like a really weak premise because you really didn't get any of the backstory that you are gonna get in the next two films. But all these different slashers from this town. Uh, there's these two towns, uh, Shady Side, uh, which has all the bad things happen to it. It's murder capital USA, and I always hate when when authors or movie makers uh, do that because it just sounds it sounds hokey. It sounds like a, a kid's TV show in the 90s. Uh, murder, town, murder Capital USA. Just, it sounds like that's something somebody thought kids would find scary and threw it into the movie. I thought it sounds horrible. But anyway, Shady Side. And then there's the neighboring town, Sunnyvale, which uh, all I kept wondering is if they've got a trailer park where the trailer park boys live. Because they live in Sunnyvale trailer park. That's up in Nova Scotia, but at any rate, uh, Sunnyvale is where all the rich people live, where everything happens right, and 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 all of this. So, uh, it, uh, really, just a lot of it's all a lot of setup to the fact that there is this witch that was hanged in Shady Side, and her bones are under this tree they just happen to find them and and to get rid of all the supernatural bad guys that she's always influenced over the years uh, all the slashers the serial killers that have plagued shady side over the centuries um, they've got they try to bury her bones because that's what you do at least that's that's how they did it in Nightmare on Elm Street part 3 uh, he bury the bones, and that's supposed to get rid of him. It doesn't, and it all leads up to the second one. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the details of uh, of what goes down in the 1994 uh, segment because, it, like I said, it's just a lot of setup, and it really wasn't that good. I did not enjoy it. I was like, I I don't know if I want to watch the next two films but i'd already decided i was going to do a podcast about that so i'm like you know i'm going to be a trooper i'm going to give it a shot and uh we'll talk here in a minute about what i thought about the next two films but this one i I just uh it, it really suffered the writing wasn't that great uh the special effects were okay the acting uh some some better than others uh Kiana Madera, I, I wanted to like her so bad because there was sometimes in uh, maybe the second and the third film that I think she does a really good job, but the first one it just and, and I can't even blame her. I just think it was the writing. It was just there was a lot of bad dialogue, and she has a tendency sometimes uh, in a scene to chew on her words. Uh, that's my radio career coming out on me, and it's just it's very annoying. And they wrote the character kind of annoying. She's she's actually a little uh like possessive and obsessive and you just you don't want to root for her uh in this beginning and she's the main protagonist and it was just i I just think a bad job of writing all around uh there were some 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 good characters um i like the the kid that played simon uh Fred Hecklinger, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, Julie Rewald, uh, who played Kate, uh, I thought those two did a really good job. Um, the one I really loved was Josh, uh, played by Benjamin Flores Jr. I thought he did a great job. He he was really he kind of stole every scene he was in. I felt uh, because. He, one, he did a great job, and two, uh, he was me, you know, in the in the mid-80s. You know, he's sitting there uh, wearing his uh, Meta- or, uh, Iron Maiden t-shirt and uh, playing video games and knowing all sorts of things about comic books and horror movies and stuff like that. And <laughs> I guess I kind of uh, identified with him, but uh, Benjamin Flores did a, a great job with the character and, uh, and Olivia Scott Welch to define it. She's the love interest of uh, Dina, uh, Sam, uh, Samantha Fraser, um, you know, did, did a fine job. Uh, she really didn't have a lot to, to do in the, the, this whole movie. If she was just kind of the, uh, the girl, Dina's chasing and, And yeah, I just, I really didn't feel like she had, there was much of a point for her other than just being somebody for Deanna to, Dina to, to obsess over. Um, Now there were a couple other characters that I really liked. Uh, The guy that played Nick Good, the sheriff, Ashley Zuckerman. Uh, I thought he did a real good job. He was kind of mysterious enough that you weren't sure, you know, is he a good guy? you know anybody named good in a movie is probably not going to be a good guy but you know he he seemed like a stand up enough guy but uh but there's just a bit of a mystery about him and then that kind of played into the fact that this whole first movie is just a setup for part 2 Uh, 1978, and then the 1960, or the 1666 one, I should say, is actually a a two-parter. I mean, it's not two different movies, but it's in two sections. You got the 1666 uh, and then 1994 part two. So, uh, and that's really where the conclusion of the whole thing is. So uh, really, uh, 1994, if you don't like it, I probably wouldn't blame you because it just... It was just very a lot of predictable stuff. A lot of let's play off of the you know old slasher films or what uh, you know they think slasher films were in the '90s. Uh, You know, it, it felt very scream like, which I can't. Like I said, I don't like the scream movies, and it felt it felt written for like a TV show. It felt like it was written for the old Goosebumps TV series from back in the 90s. Just the the dialogue was bad, and the uh, everything was so convoluted. And I just was not not a big fan of 1994 from Fear Street. Uh, so you know, like I said, I I wasn't sure I was going to even watch the next two installments because it was like, ah, what well, am I going to waste my time if it's going to be more of this? But I did. I endeavored to persevere, as uh, the guy from uh, The Outlaw, Josie Wells, said. Uh, He said Abraham Lincoln said it. Somebody said it. Anyway, I decided this weekend, you know, I'm going to power through and watch 1978 and 1666, uh, Fear Streets Part 2 and 3. And uh, I was actually, 1978, quite surprised. Uh, because it turned out to be really good it could have it could have been done as a standalone movie and I like, oh this is this is pretty good I, I like it uh, they end part one with uh, one of the like I said the, the town is plagued by all these serial killers throughout the years and those serial killer killers are coming back because they've all been possessed to do what they do they think by this witch Sarah Fear and there's been only one survivor of one of these serial killer attacks and that was happened in 1978 at camp nightwing who names their camp camp nightwing if you name your camp camp nightwing you're not only asking for some serial killer to show up uh you're practically uh sending out an invitation to serial killers uh, all across the country come on out to camp nightwing we've got lots of kids uh, ready for the, the slashing. But at any rate, uh, this one survivor of Camp Nightwing, uh, she is still around and uh, they look her up. And of course, 1978 is her telling the tale of how she survived at Camp Nightwing. And this, this movie felt like an upgrade from the 1994 movie. The acting was better. It, it had... For the most part, a uh, uh, a whole different cast, a whole new cast. Um, it featured uh, Sadie Sink, who plays in uh, another uh, Stranger Things alumni alumnist, and she she does a great job. I love her in Stranger Things. I thought she did a spectacular job here. Uh, Emily Rudd played her sister Cindy, and uh, just uh, you know, uh, Ryan Simkins. Uh, McCabe uh, Slay, Sly, Sly, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Uh, Ted Sutherland, um, just a, a lot of a lot of really good uh, actors in this, and of course uh, Ted Sutherland actually plays a young Nick Good, uh, the who would eventually become the sheriff in these uh, in these parts, but. At any rate, it all you know takes place at this camp, and it really kind of plays off the uh, Friday the Thirteenth style of, and maybe that's what I liked about it because I'm an old you know. When it comes to slasher films, I'm I'm old school. I like the you know Michael Myers. I like uh, you know the Halloween series, Jason Voorhees, and Friday the Thirteenth, Freddy Krueger, and Nightmare on Elm Street. I like those classic. Those those to me are creepier and scarier than a lot of the slasher films that are, that are coming out, uh, you know, it came out in the nineties and they don't do too many slasher films, quote unquote slasher films, unless it's some sort of nostalgia piece like this. But, uh, these days, but at any rate, it really played off the Friday, the 13th vibe. And uh, again, not getting into all the weather twos and the Y4s of the, uh, of the, uh, movie, Uh, This installment of it, but at any rate, they, you know, one of the campers uh, or actually one of the uh, counselors turns into the serial killer that uh, terrorizes Camp Nightwing that is supposedly being possessed by this Sarah Fear character uh, from back in 1666. And, and it, it like I said, it, it really plays off of Friday the 13th because he's running around with an axe and then at some point he gets a, a burlap sack uh, pulled over his head and I don't know, supernaturally it like form fits to him and, you know, in Friday the 13th part 2 uh where Jason is actually the killer he's running around with a sack over his head so it's like it was like wow God, you guys aren't even trying to hide that this is completely inspired by uh <laughs> by Friday the 13th but i don't think they i yeah i don't think they were trying to hide it because this is really kind of uh, a series that pays homage to the uh to the slasher films of yesteryear and i you know i i liked the scenes you know that kind of a serial killer um the way they played it in part 2 in 7 in 1978 it kind of had that you know heavy footstepped kind of slow and plodding uh serial killer that's kind of like a great white shark just always circling always coming after you uh instead of somebody just running around like i said like you know, the first one it just portrayed all of these serial killers that are coming back from the dead, portrayed them as kids in you know teenagers in stupid Halloween costumes, just running around being stupid. That's what it looked like. Whereas this, it had more. There was more gravitas to the to the the serial killer, the the slasher in in this. And you had you know in in a lot of those movies, uh, a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, uh, you never really saw campers uh, getting killed you saw the, the counselors that were out uh, smoking pot and having sex and being promiscuous and doing all sorts of bad teenage stuff. <laughs> apparently, apparently all the slashers are Puritans. But at any rate, uh, you never saw very many like little kids getting killed. And in this, you do. You, I tell you what, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Not that I want to see kids and campers getting killed, but it was not something I was expecting to happen. Because, uh, like I said, even though the first one and the, the one set in nineteen ninety four kind of played like it was, you know, it was written like it was a Goosebumps episode uh, for TV. Uh, they still drop a lot, you know. They use a lot of language. Uh, there's the first one has like a mild sex scene, but you don't really see much. The second one, the second one's pretty, that's a pretty hard R I would, I would imagine. I don't know how they rate the uh, Netflix series, but, uh, it, I would have to imagine a pretty hard R because there's some nudity. Uh, there's some sex scenes. Um, there's, you know, of course, a lot of language, uh, there's, there's drug use. There is kids, getting their heads split open and, you know, a lot of the kill shots, you know, slashes with the ax across the chest and things like that were all really well done. I mean, they had some, there's some gore to it. I mean, this, like I said, this one, if they took out all the Sarah fear stuff or the stuff that linked, uh, the, the movie from part one and the upcoming part three, uh, this I think would have been a really solid standalone, uh, movie. Uh I I enjoyed it. I really did. I liked the acting. Um, I liked, you know, the fact that it, it was it was a pretty hard R, I would have to imagine, uh, if you're rating rating it like that. And uh, and it, it had some really creepy, scary moments. Uh, with this, uh, with this killer, this camp killer, the Nightwing killer, I think they call him in the movie. So uh, I really enjoyed 1978, the second installment in the Fear Street uh, trilogy, and uh, it all kind of ends up where uh, Sadie Sink's character, uh, Ziggy Berman, uh, who is the the sole survivor. She survives because she actually died. Uh, Nick Good. Uh, played by Ted Sutherland, the young Nick Good comes back. Uh, I I don't know how CPR uh, can save you from having the bejesus stabbed out of you, but hey, it's the movies. Uh, There's got to be some semblance of suspension of disbelief. Uh, But anyway, he brings her back to life, and that's how it stopped everything. Once she died... Um, and that's kind of a thing throughout the movies I, I did a horrible job explaining the first movie because I just didn't care about it but uh, these bad guys these uh, serial killers come back from the dead and it's it's like almost a shark they're they're sniffing out the blood of one person they're supposed are people that they're supposed to kill and uh, and once everyone's dead then they disappear until they're called upon to to kill somebody else or other people. And uh, Sadie Sink is the, the one that they're supposed to kill, apparently. Uh, there's there's some plot holes. Don't get me wrong. I, I've got a lot of things about how this actually works. But at any rate, we'll talk about that when I kind of wrap things up. But uh, she dies, gets brought back to... They, all the bad guys disappear. She gets brought back to life uh, through CPR uh, and the healing, the stab wound healing effects of CPR and... And she, uh, you know, goes on to become an adult and who is trying to help the kids from 1994. So moral of the story, uh, they found out that not only do you have to, to bury the bones of Seraphir, she cut off her hand to make a pact with the devil and they have to find the hand that, uh, (laughs) that is missing and bury it with the bones that they just happened upon in part one. So, that kind of leads us into, well, the end of part two. Uh, Dina finds out where the hand is conveniently in a tree that they didn't tear down and just built a mall around it. Uh, a lot of this goes down in the mall because uh, we're going to go back there when the, the whole thing ends. But uh, she buries it, gets some blood on it. She all of a sudden flashes back to. 1666 and takes us into the final installment of the fear street trilogy part three 1666 and she goes back in time to the like pilgrim settlement uh that sarah fear the alleged witch uh was in and it's kind of one of those deals where she is in the body of sarah fear witnessing everything and, but when you see her on the screen, she looks like, uh, the actress that plays Deanna, uh, or Dina, uh, Keanu Madera. So it's, and, and, and the thing of this, I, I liked part three. I didn't care about part three as much as part two, just because they kind of went back to, uh, they mirrored the first one, uh, Sarah Fear, is in a, you know, a lesbian relationship with uh, this other girl. Also, you know, she's played by the same girl that plays her love interest in 1994. Uh, Hannah Miller's the character. Olivia Scott Welch, of course, plays her, as well as Sam Fraser uh, in 1994. But it, it just, yeah, it's all very convoluted. It's like they're trying to to beat the whole... Uh, they're lesbians and society doesn't like them being together and that makes them outcasts and vilifies them. And I'm like, that that would be one thing if this was 1994, but it's not 1994 anymore. Uh, you know, I know a lot of gay and lesbian couples and it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, I don't think it, it would have been, maybe if they'd updated, I don't know. Uh, I just thought they were it felt like they were beating a dead horse that uh, that didn't need to be, to be beaten. The horse is dead. Just let it lie. Uh, I don't think there's the stereotype. I don't think there's the stigma uh, about gay relationships like there was back then. So to really focus on that uh, just seemed... Uh, superfluous i guess uh, I'm, I'm not it's not to say i'm sure there's a lot of uh gay and lesbian couples out there that uh that you know still harassed or it's not approved of by their family but societally speaking uh it's a lot more prevalent it's a lot more welcome and and i think uh like most people like me uh you know, who am I to tell anybody what to what to do, how to live their life? I barely have a firm grasp on my own life. So why would I want to tell anybody how they, who they should love? And so at any rate, I, I just, the fact that they took so much time mirroring the first part, uh, the 1994 part in this 1666 part, just kind of took me out of the story again. Um, but it all wraps up. In the fact that we find out, and this is a spoiler. Uh, I've been trying not to be too spoilery, but uh, you're going to find out. Uh, we already kind of touched on this. It turns out the Good family, uh, where Solomon Good, in this pilgrim uh, community, actually also played by Ashley Zucker, who plays uh, Solomon's uh, great descendant, uh, Nick Good, uh, they're the ones who started this curse Uh, made the pact with the devil and blamed it on Sarah fear. Sarah fear was uh, accused of being a witch unjustly hung and, and then it all coming comes back to 1994 and they all play it out in the, in the uh, shopping mall. Like I said, you got to go back to the shopping mall. It was the nineties. We all loved our shopping malls back in the eighties and nineties. And uh, there's this big showdown where all of the uh, serial killers from uh, decades past, they all come back to the mall, and it's a, it's a big showdown. Uh, the uh, cop Nick Good shows up, the sheriff Nick Good shows up, and there's a showdown with him. Uh, Dina, uh, Sam is there. Uh, she's been possessed as well. It's like I said, you gotta watch the movie. I'm not gonna sit here and and tell you every every detail of it. I'm not gonna spoil. At least try not to spoil too much, but they have their big showdown, and it all wraps up. And then there's a little bit of a PS scene where this uh, book that the spell comes from that you kind of see in the uh, earlier in the 1666 uh, movie, it's taken by this this hand comes and grabs it. Uh, so at any rate, uh, uh, 1666 was uh, uh, it was okay. Um, like I said, they. It was like they were trying to make a point that I don't think needed to be made. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a gay man. Uh, You know, I'm not a a lesbian woman. I don't, you know, I don't think, I I think society has progressed enough to where I don't think that is as big a deal uh, for most people as it used to be back in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. Uh, I think everyone's much You know, uh, I I hate to use the word tolerant because that almost uh, that almost has a connotation of uh, we don't approve it, but we'll we'll let you do it. But I I don't think people I don't I don't think it's as big a deal as it used to be. Uh, Like I said, that's not to say I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not gay. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there are a lot of gay people out there. Maybe I should talk to my gay friends and, and find out if, uh, if maybe I'm off on this, but, uh, but I don't think it's as stigmatized as it used to be. So, like I said, uh, for them to, to put so much time into, uh, pushing the fact that, uh, that, uh, you know, kind of equating, uh, you know, the witch hunts of the, the 1600s to, you know, being gay today. I, I know they were trying to make a point. I just didn't think it was a point. I mean, there there are so many other issues these days that, uh, they could have used, uh, this as a sounding board for that. They didn't. And, um, but at any rate, uh, that didn't, that didn't mind. I didn't mind that, that don't get me wrong. That's not something that, uh, that ruined the movie for me and, and they put it in and that's, that's fine. That they're, they're the filmmakers. It's the story that they wanted to tell. I just didn't think it. I just think I thought they focused a little too much on it at times to where it was glaringly obvious and not made it a natural part of the show uh, with, with any bit of nuance that, Oh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Uh, it was just like, here, here's this, I'm going to shove it right in your face and uh, beat you over the head with the lesson I'm trying to teach you. And uh, that's what takes me out of a movie. But at any rate, I, I thought it was okay. Uh, the series as a whole, uh, this Fear Street series, I, I really don't. I don't care if they make another one. Uh, I honestly don't. Like I said, I don't know the source material uh, because Arl Stein was a, a little... Uh, geared for a younger audience than I was at the time that it came out. So I don't know how close it was. Uh, from what I understand, some of the serial killers that they they focused on were were serial killers from, from various R.L. Stein book, Fear Street books. Um, but yeah, I, I don't care if they make another one. They kind of set it up and left it uh, kind of open-ended to where they might, I imagine they might do another movie or another trilogy, But uh, yeah, if they do that, that's fine. I probably, I I don't know if I'll watch it. Um, Like I said, the the first one I didn't really care for. Uh, The second one, the 1994 one I didn't care for. Uh, The 1978 one, that's worth a watch. Uh, Now, you've probably got to watch part one and part three to have all the context. But uh, I think the, uh, the middle one, 1978, is probably... Worth at least giving this trilogy uh, a view and see what you think. Like I said, I could be totally off on all this, uh, but it is my opinion, and that's kind of what podcasts are all about. And uh, but I, I think you know it, if it anything, um, if you enjoy part two, the 1978 one, and uh, I, it's not to say the 1994 and the 1666. Uh, movies are horrible. They're not horrible. They're just not great. Um, the first one, like I said, written, uh, the writing was suspect. The last one, the the writing was, a you know, it wasn't as good as in the second one, the in 1978 one, but it, it still wasn't, it wasn't bad. Uh, and the acting, you know, like I said, there are some standout actors in this. And then there are some that it just kind of fell flat and uh, I just didn't care about them. But uh, but all in all, not a not a bad trilogy, uh, not a great trilogy. Uh, if I was rating these and I, I hate I hate rating things because they're so arbitrary and they're so subjective and you know, it all just depends on what you like personally and uh, for somebody else to judge what they're gonna watch because of your own personal likes and dislikes, uh whatever but it, it's a middle of the road it, it's not great by any stretch of the imagination but it's not unwatchable uh and they, there are a lot of uh a lot of nods like I said uh the first one they could have called it uh, needle drop street because they're just constantly putting in uh various you know songs from the 90s just so you know this is a 90s in the 78 one they did they didn't do it it didn't feel like they did it quite as much but you know they still you know, did a lot of songs, and they kept they kept going back to Kansas, "Carry On Wayward Son," which I have wondered if that wasn't a nod to the Supernatural series, because of course they play uh, "Carry On Wayward Son" at the beginning of every season, I believe it is, uh, or the first episode of every season, um, and of course I love love that song, love Kansas, love the love the show Supernatural, so I, I have wondered if they weren't doing that as kind of a little nod to. Not to, to Supernatural, but that that was kind of fun. And then in the, uh, of course, the 1666, <laughs> there was no needle drops on that one. But once they get back to 94, uh, they did. Uh, I, I kind of like how they did uh, Man Who Sold the World. Uh, they did the Nirvana one at the beginning of the 19-hour part two. And then they went back to the original Bowie Uh which was which was kind of cool, I think. Uh, later on, because I like I like I like that song. Nirvana's version, okay. You can't get any better than Bowie, though. I just think that this this film series suffered from uh, what so many horror films suffer from. It seems is that they try to explain too much. I think one of the beauties of horror is the unexplained. That's one of the things I uh, I like about Stephen King's work. Now, sometimes he uh, he explains a lot uh over explains but then sometimes especially in his short stories which i really love you get to, here's the situation that we're in and go and you don't find out why they're in that situation you just go along for the ride as they try to get through that situation and uh, i think that's what uh uh, this this film series suffered from is that it tried to explain too much. Things just got way too complicated with the different time frames. Uh, the the whole convoluted we're trying to make Seraphir this uh, witch antagonist, and then, no, it wasn't her. She was being persecuted and for her, her lifestyle, and it's actually uh, the good guy, good in quotations with an E, and uh, he's the bad guy. And it just it got very convoluted, and it just suffered from trying to explain too much and not just letting the horror be horror for horror's sake. Uh, and speaking of Stephen King, I did like the uh, in 1978. They did make uh, a, quite a few Stephen King references, along with uh, all the Friday the 13th references, and uh, that one maybe supernatural reference that was going on. But at any rate, uh, not not a horrible trilogy of movies to watch. If you uh, I don't just because it's R.L. based on R.L. Stein's work, do not think that you can show your kids because there's a, there's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, things that kids uh, kids don't need to be watching. Uh, granted, when I was you know younger, I was sneaking and watching stuff like this, but I probably shouldn't have been. Probably why I turned out as demented as I am. Give it a shot. See what you think. Like I said, uh, I may be right on spot with some of my uh, analysis. I may be totally off, but it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, it matters what you think. And if you like it, then good for you. If you don't like it, Hey, you know, we've got a lot more to talk about and there's a lot more scary movies out there. So, And uh, encourage everyone, please, uh, uh, whether you're listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, podcast.com, please uh, like, leave reviews, kind words, please. (laughs) Uh, That that sort of stuff helps. Uh, Like the Facebook page. And, uh, of course, for anything and everything that is uh, horror, uh, supernatural, the bizarre, the odd, the unique—we're gonna be talking about it on the Facebook page and uh, right here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So until next time, thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>